Oh, Leonardo, just, just, can we just go and have a coffee? Just, I just want to chat. Oh, here they come. You're listening to the Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. Welcome to another episode of the Occupational Philosophers. But before we go any further, what are you going to get from today's show? We'll look at the importance of embracing your uniqueness and not hiding away what makes you different, as that's where your talents lie. We'll also consider why we should all be lifelong learners and remembering that not everything is taught in school. And we'll explore how innovation happens when we join the dots and make connections from wildly different things. Hey, Simon, welcome to today's show. Well, let's start. What's been catching your eye this week? Well, John, it's not so much catching my eye, but it's a thought that's been mulling around in my head. And you know how we all do personality profiles like HBDI and Myers-Briggs and disc profiling. And I've been wondering, like, we've all been in or still are in some sort of you know lockdown or sort of phase maybe for 18 months. And I was thinking, I wonder what those personality profiles look like after that 18 months and if they've gone really (laughs) weird and wonky and I've been thinking about a cartoon in my head like you might have had this really balanced oh I'm so yellow I'm so red and I like this and I like that you know always people say about the personality (laughs) profiles but then instead of like that really nice little grid it might just be an upside down unicorn and you're hanging onto the leg or something or like or or someone's like throwing that red yellow blue green like a a Jackson Pollock painting on a wall so so I'm interested maybe if anyone's even done it, like if there's a before and after profile. Yeah, yeah. There are assessments like that that look at that, how you are in one given situation and how you are under pressure, for example. So, no, I think that uh, before and after lockdown could be a good way of doing things. (laughs) Yeah, you change. The colours would change quite significantly, wouldn't they? Might become a bit more black. And And sometimes you might be a little, oh, I'm the eagle and I like to fly and soar and... And you might be, oh, I'm just a ferret now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm a mole. <laughs> I'm a sloth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah, got out of bed. 23 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what's been in my head, just like if anyone's done it and they've looked at it and they've gone, huh, well, there you go. Mm. So Lockdown yeah, psychometrics. Love it. Yes. Okay. Lockdown psychometrics. Okay. And what about you, John? What's caught your eye this week? What have you been curious about? Well, I've just come back from my family holidays. So we were touring around some of the UK. And as is usual for me, I I listen to podcasts while I'm driving vast distances or any distance, just so I can sort of tune out from the kids. (laughs) And I've been... And and, and, uh, does everyone in the family have headphones on or are you making everyone listen to your podcast? No, so people are usually listening to their own thing, but then we, we do listen to some stuff together. Like we've got some okay. uh, podcast stories and family stories on the go, but then there's occasional okay. times where you just need your own space. Yeah, sure, in the car. Especially when you're together for any length of time. Got to go up some sanity. It's one of my favourite bits. So I've been listening to a podcast on <laughs> dictators mm, for the last relaxing. two weeks. <laughs> I got hooked on this podcast about dictators, and so I was – struck by the serious thought, which was the how dictators in all of the descriptions of you know Franco and Stalin and Kim Jong and all of this is they crush creativity. Thinking about our 
you know, our sort of theme here. They start with getting rid of the courts and the judges. They quash the press and the free speech within the, the society. And then very quickly, they move on to the teaching professions and professors and artists and musicians. All of those things get crushed quite quickly because they represent some sort of threat to the regime. So it was really interesting that in authoritarian regimes, creativity gets quashed and just gets buried because it's too dangerous. Yeah, it's so, sort of like yeah. fearing people who have different thoughts to myself. Individual expression is not very welcome in an authoritarian regime. So, yeah, it's really interesting that that is one of the things they all consistently did was to burn books, get rid of art, strip the galleries. Yeah, it was very common and interesting that that just runs through every time. Kind of expected, but I hadn't just made that connection before to what we talk about on the show. Yeah, and it sort of goes to what is life without art, creativity, philosophy, teaching, original thought, differences as well. Like I often think with, I guess, the last 18 months, and this is not a lockdown show by any means, but, you know, all those, the creative world has taken a terrible hit. So what, what do we come back to if we don't have that? Well, and also that's been part of the way through it for some people, isn't it, being creative? It's been one of the things that's kept their sanity, I think, for a lot of people. We touched on that before. But, yeah, there we go. So (laughs) it wasn't a fun thing. It was jolly interesting. (laughs) Get get out of the car, kids. Don't say anything to me. (laughs) Stop talking. I'm getting to the end of General Franco. It's really interesting. Stop. (laughs) Now, it's interesting. I often get asked at the end of a – especially if you're doing sort of a more public-style conference at the end of the keynote, they have a QA. and a and often will come up, we're a really creative team, but however, we push ideas up to our boss, maybe the next level up in a government organisation, and he always squashes them back down. And often the question is, how do we handle that when everything we suggest gets ignored? Mm. No, that was one of the thoughts I had as well with that dictator is how many CEOs are like dictators? Not in the way that they, they might be sort of getting rid of people in huge swathes and doing things like that and doing horrible things like that. But yeah, how might they be quite dictatorial and in that way be crushing all that innovation and creativity in their organisations? Hey, Simon, so what's today's show? What are you sharing today? Well, John, I thought we'd do a little bit of a travel through time again. I really liked your history of chin strokers. So I thought I'd go into my lane a little bit as well. And I thought we might do a history of some of the great artists of our time and explore the life lessons and also the business lessons we can take from that. I like that. Yeah. I'm just uh, giving you a sort of uh, warning up front. My knowledge of artists is limited. (laughs) Well, as, as, are, as are most people, and I think even myself as well. So I thought we'd, we'd, we'd open our minds a little bit to, I guess, what made some of these people tick. And yeah, some of these lessons we can learn from them, because we often admire them from afar, or they're geniuses, or oh, we could never do that. But I think there's some really nice lessons for our daily life and how we interact with the world around us. And because we're a not-so-serious business podcast, some really great insights for the world of work. And look, they may not be what you first may think. And where we're going to start this journey into the world of art and artists is at the Renaissance times, John. Now, I can see you nodding your head. We all know the Renaissance. We've heard of it. But really, what happened, this was an explosion of thought, of ideas, of humanism, of moving away from the dark ages and the dark times. And it was brought about by 
dipping back into the stories and the ideas of the ancient chin strokers. So this is all the Greek heavyweights that we've discussed before. So you would have yeah. then people start to explore the works of Socrates and Plato, Aristotle and the like. And they were reading these works and they thought, hang on, life isn't as crap as we think, all right? Because at this time there was <laughs> the church was the boss, if that makes sense, and there was yeah. this sort of theory around you are born, you die, that's life, okay? You suffer and if anything bad happens because you've wronged the gods in the heavens. So people lived in fear and they called they, you know, they lived in the dark and they're having a pretty crappy time, essentially. But started reading <laughs> we, work. Do you want to re recast it as the crap ages rather than the dark ages? <laughs> okay, so they're in the crap ages and it was dark and crap. So it was <laughs> not a good time. But all of a sudden people started to read and realize that there was science, there was art, there was literature. Life didn't have to be so shit. <laughs> so Simon we we had this renaissance period then sort of as you say characterized by a sort of an explosion of new thinking new thoughts new ideas new w ways that people might sort of make sense of the world but who were some of the artists then that uh, we would recognize as being quite sort of pivotal or key in that period well, look, there was quite a crew. All of the Ninja Turtles were uh, well known at this time. <laughs> so Donatello, Raphael, and whoever, <laughs> Michelangelo, and I can't remember the other one. So <laughs> they're, all, they're all in this time. And they're actually there. It was a little bit of competition between all these artists, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But the first one I want to look at is Michelangelo. And when we think of artists we know, I think everyone has heard of Michelangelo. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a test here, John. What, mm -hmm. what do you know about Michelangelo? I think I'm right in saying that he's the chap who did the Sistine Chapel, or was that Leonardo? No, you're right. It was He did oh. the Sistine Chapel, yeah. With, with the, the hand of God thing, with yep. touching, to, that's it, on the ceiling, is it, the, the classic yeah, thing? absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, right, okay. Whew, thank goodness. And he did one other really <laughs> famous artwork as well. Uh David sculpture. Yeah, you're right. Hey, right. Now, here's what's interesting about Michelangelo. He was a sculptor, he was an artist, and he was an architect, and he's equally famous for both of these as well. And look, he did paint the Sistine Chapel, but he really had to break out of his own skin because he'd already done David this time. And what I like about David, uh, it's one of those great quotes, is that he says, you know, David was inside this block of marble and I just had to chip away and find him and he could come out. So yeah. I like that he looked at this block and just saw something inside. Remember I said there was a lot of competition amongst the artists at the time. Raphael, he was asked to paint the Sistine Chapel and so was Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Michelangelo was maybe third cab off the rank and Raphael... <laughs> didn't like him that much there was a lot of competition and Raphael said to the the benefactor I've forgotten who it was of the Sistine Chapel and he said why don't you ask Michelangelo to do it one because he thought well he'll either fail because he's not that good or he'll be <laughs> off the scene for so long he'll stay out of my hair because he's crushing my vibe around Florence <laughs> this sounds like sort of full-on industrial espionage isn't it trying yeah, to sort of scuffle one another so effectively the, the <laughs> the papacy or whatever, the, the Vatican put that job out to tender. 
to a large extent. Actually, they they was you know Raphael and Leonardo, and they both yeah. took it down. So not not that different to modern times. <laughs> but here's what's great is Michelangelo thought, I've never done something like this, but hell yeah, I'm going to give it a try. I was just wondering if the first thought he had was, uh, have I got a step ladder big enough? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a rumour that he actually had to lie down on his back the whole time and do it, but I've looked into that. So four years of lying on your back looking at the ceiling, but I actually read that he did stand up. So <laughs> That crick your neck, wouldn't it? What I've noticed as well, Simon, is that like our philosophers that often had wise sayings and quotes that carry through history and time. I know it's the same with some of the artists that we're talking about today. And Michelangelo, he's got some great quotes that I'm sure you've seen these as well. But my favourites are, the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it is too low and we reach it, which I think I've heard described in different ways, but it's got a lovely sentiment there about expectations and belief and then the other one is isn't that a quote for the time so isn't it don't you think it's a a quote oh absolutely yeah 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 yeah. just to sort of go look just set those ambitions at the right level don't limit yourself as we've said before isn't it people you know the greatest limits are placed upon us are often by ourselves yeah he absolutely got it hasn't he the other one for me is if people knew how hard i worked to get my mastery it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all And again, I think I've heard that sort of come about in different guises and stated in different ways. But again, it's that idea of just effort, persistence, hard work and practice is the things that actually can release that talent or liberate that creative potential and fantasticness. And also develops it like you, if you want to produce great work, whatever that great work is, you work hard to become good at it, whether you're a tennis player or whether you're a singer or whether you're like, we see the output, we never see all the hard hours that go behind it, but we often will judge ourselves on the output. Does that make sense? We'll go, oh, I could never do that. And But the, the hours they put into it is is why they become so good and look i think something else we can take from michelangelo and i think this is where people often go he was a real visionary in that he could see things that other people missed and when you look at this Mm. big five meter block or might even been taller it ended up as five meters tall david they say you know he says i i looked and i saw dave and i chipped away what wasn't there and out he came but it was a really crappy bit of marble like it wasn't (laughs) and some other artists that had to go at it and they'd They'd botched it and the legs were in a bad shape. But his ability to see potential in what other people might throw away, I think, was is a really nice thing we can take from him as well. I could just imagine if I went at that, I'd end up with a pebble. Well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but the point is he, he got stuck in. and he, he <laughs> What did you see? A pebble. Here it I is. Saw- <laughs> I saw a pile of dust. <laughs> <laughs> I smashed it until it was dust. That's what I saw. <laughs> now, look, Michelangelo in porn, but he's sort of, let's call him the aperitif for these times. But really, when we think <laughs> Renaissance man, who do we think of, John? Who, who comes to your mind, Renaissance man? Well, it's got to be the big Leonardo. So let's jump into Leonardo da Vinci. Let's call him, you know, the ultimate polymath, meaning he was good at loads of stuff. 
okay? Mm. And it's often we focus on his engineering insight and all these different war machines he might have created and, you know, solar power and flight and he always gets credited. He started to think about these things. But I like about Leonardo he combined, you sort of that, you sat at that intersection of art and science. There wasn't like, they weren't separated, if that makes sense. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, Leonardo, just an engineer. He wouldn't be any good at that. He tried loads of stuff. And I think that was the key to his success. That mashup of ideas and one idea sprung another and another idea sprung another. And that's how he sort of ran in Florence and Milan at the time. Yeah, and so not dissimilar to philosophers, because I think we had this when we talked about the philosophers as well, that they were polymaths as well. They often had a whole different range of skills or knowledge or interests, and they just brought those together to form ideas in thought. And you're saying the same for Leonardo, but his ideas formed in terms of inventions and art and whatever yeah, well, else. Yeah, well, the way he... Yeah, the way he produced them, what his ideas sprung forth. But it was that intersection and mashup of different things. And, like, as an example, he used to work in theatre, so he'd be a sort of a stagehand and a set designer. And so where he got his ideas from his helicopters and flying machines was the way uh, curtains went up and down and things would go up and down. So oh, wow. he brought, yeah, he brought things from all sections of his life into this sort of mashup of ideas. And what I also like about him, because we often think around, oh, you know, Albert Einstein and all these other people, oh, the geniuses and the traits of geniuses. Leonardo wasn't really a genius. He was just highly curious. Mm. Yeah. So he walked so he around. Was there in the, he was there in the theatre thinking, people need refreshments in the theatre. Did he invent the ice cream tray as well? Things like that. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> the Renaissance, the Renaissance <laughs> ice cream tray, but he just had his eyes open all the time. Like he, he was constantly writing things down, drawing things, which were all these. You know, he was a constant. Uh, you laughed at me when we said we go to another planet, and I take my notebook. Leonardo wasn't <laughs> taking an iPhone; he was taking his notebook. Like his notebooks, which he never meant to be exhibited, he would be wandering around and think, "Well, why does water run that way? Look at the the characteristics in this leaf." And, you know, how does that work together? So constantly asking questions and self-taught because his mum was poor. And this is, yeah, but let's be fair, this is only because there was no Netflix. <laughs> I thought that this afternoon. I thought, well, then, you know, if you, if you didn't have TV, you wonder how curious you'd be. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Like, and also we talk around, kids, get off your phones. Like, if you don't have a phone for a week, how much more curious are you? Go and so, invent a helicopter. And he was different in other ways as well, was he, Simon, that he wasn't from a particularly rich or prestigious background, uh, well-educated and, and supported or whatever. He was entirely different in that regard, was he? Yeah, if my reading about him is correct, he is from a very poor family. And I think he might have been a single mother and the father didn't have much to do with him. So I don't think he had much education past, I guess, like sort of primary school or Renaissance oh, primary yeah. school at that time. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever that was, how the system worked. So everything he learned, he was self-taught. And as I said before, that highly curious nature and just it's a really nice reminder if we're curious, we'll take in all sorts of things that we, we, would, we would miss. And he was very curious mm -hmm. about people and he would often sit in the square and wander around in uh, Florence and Milan and sketch people, but he's really interested in their thoughts and emotions and what was going on in their head and making that connection between what he saw on the outside, the outer story, and what the inner story was as well. 
Ah, okay. So, and then I know then his one of his most famous works, obviously, was the Mona Lisa. Yeah, and Mona Lisa is one of the most commented, one of the most discussed pictures of all time. Do you know why? Uh, like when you look at this, is the per- is the lady smiling or not? Do you think? I don't know. She looks like she's farted. I think. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the first well, thing I thought she, when I saw it. <laughs> Squeezed out a conce- sneaky one. Yeah. yeah, it looks like she's concealing something. I thought. Yeah, well, this is part of his. This is part of his his way, like thing of people conceal things, and he's got a technique that he developed at the time where you would sort of blur the edges of the mouth and the eyes, mm-hmm. so nothing. There's no sharp lines in that picture, which is why we can't work out if she's smiling or not. And there's so much hidden behind and also the eyes follow you around That's, and there's but a, don't all paintings do that a bit like <laughs> scooby-doo isn't it now what, <laughs> wandering through and they're like, oh scooby that's looking at me now here, i'll let you in a little secret if you put the eyes slightly off center wherever you go it only needs to be like a, a millimeter wherever you wander around that they will follow you because they're not perfectly centered Oh, so it's not, I always thought that all paintings followed you. If there was a portrait looking out, it would follow you. But that's not the case then. Ah. Well, well no, well, they do. That's the reason behind it. So, um, oh, and, oh, so there is a technique to make that happen. Yeah, that's the technique. Ah. So wherever you, um, and I guess so. that's this intersection of science and art and perspective and different things. And, yeah. you know, around this time as well, before that, they used to paint people really 2D. They'd be really sort of flat people, but that's part of this reconnecting with uh, like the Greek heavyweights and these beautiful sculptures and human forms. They started to look at uh, the world and around us a little bit differently, and especially people. Mm. And that's probably why when you look at the monkey Christ, it doesn't follow you around. (laughs) (laughs) Just a reference there to a previous show, so people may look that up. But yeah, check out. But what I like also about Leonardo, he was his own man in that sense. At the time, he didn't conform. So he used to wear really brightly colored pink and purple tunics. And for my reading, they were, and I think like a sort of a short mini tunic as well, (laughs) which is very unlike the dress of the time. He would flaunt around the squares of Florence and Milan wearing them. And from what I understand, is it a Vesuvian man? If I've got that right, Vesuvian man is um, his own body. Have I got that right, Vesuvian, Vitruvian? You know, the man with the arms out and the perfect, the perfect uh, yeah. uh, in the circle. And I think it's Vesuvian. Yes. Apologies if I've okay, got yeah. that wrong. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, that was That's based again, on him. One of his. Yeah. Oh, right. Apparently, okay. yeah, it could be his own body. So muscly guy just wandering around the square, short pink tunic, long luxurious hair, and a long beard at that time, which was sort of. And I guess not frowned upon, but he was, he was a bit of a character, you know. He just, he, but say, he owned he's, it. He's like full blown celebrity then, wasn't he? Of his time, he must have. Oh, had, absolutely, you know. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, was he would have really had his well own known. TV channel if it was now, wouldn't he? He'd be oh, 100% YouTuber. You <laughs> <laughs> would be an influencer. Instagram influencer but what I like he just he owned who he was and openly gay as well which was again not something accepted in that time but what a a great friend to have like you just head out the street hey let's just go and rock and roll man like Uh, I don't know well sometimes but the other times you oh Leonardo just just can we just go and have a coffee just I just want to chat oh here they come masses of people yeah yeah 
Well, then you would have been better to hang out with Michelangelo, who was a bit of a (laughs) miserableist. So he he just he'd sit there, he's hanging over his espresso. Why? Why do they hate me? Why? Why is there no milk in this? (laughs) <laughs> why must i paint this dastardly chapel well that's probably why he was miserable to be fair lying on his back for four years looking at the ceiling <laughs> yeah but wasn't a happy cat and unusually or not unusually but he was gay as well but he hid his sexuality whereas leonardo embraced it so i think what an interesting guy i'm right in thinking these guys were around at the same time is that right they knew each yeah, other. They, they knew each other and they disliked each other, as you might imagine, with Leonardo being the ultimate hipster socialite and Michelangelo <laughs> being a miserable recluse. They they didn't they didn't like each other. You could what's a modern day example, John? Maybe where uh, Blur and Oasis, I think, or something. Yeah, like that. Well, it's not that modern. <laughs> That's quite old. <laughs> Another pop cultural reference from about twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. But yeah, Oasis were kind of out there wearing their sort of colourful tunics and blur with more the kind of miserablists, you know, the serious musicians. <laughs> yeah, so that maybe the or the Gallagher brothers. Again, another old yeah. cultural <laughs> reference, which rumbles on, to be fair. I mean, they're still at it. <laughs> so, look, and I think Blur might have been the outward ones and uh, maybe, you know, Oasis. They are the miserable ones, maybe. But either oh, way. Yeah, that's true. They're quite angry, aren't they? Yeah. They, they, they didn't get on. <laughs> and it's funny that Leonardo had a lot of influence in town, as you would, being a people. Yeah, and they were very really wealthy as well. They weren't poor, so they were, they were celebrities in their time. And Leonardo voted to have michelangelo's statue of david stuck down an arcade rather than out in the sort of the piazza so like an alleyway if you've been to florence you've got all these alleyways and arcades and he said i vote to have this (laughs) this block put down that side arcade yeah (laughs) so put it down the old kent road we're not going to put out (laughs) Oxford Street Square, yeah, Yeah, and then I'm not sure whether the uh, the rulers of I think the rulers of Florence they decided well let's have a bit of a a paint off have a bit of a high noon (laughs) so they gave them both an art challenge and said you're going to battle it out sort of like a a rap battle or something maybe see that's quite interesting because you would think with them being having expertise in different types of arts they needed to make it almost like a pentathlon so you do a bit of sculpture then you might do a bit of paint. That you'd have to, I don't know, throw some paint to a drawing. <laughs> you know, so you could, if you did sculpture, Michelangelo's obviously at an advantage, isn't he? Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. But they set them against each other. Michelangelo didn't like Leonardo da Vinci's style with the smooth Mona Lisa, I've just squeezed cheese sort of face and no one knows, but you'll smell it soon. <laughs> Whereas you look at the Sistine Chapel, which is so beautiful, there's a lot more defined. So they didn't yeah. really like each other's style of art, but they, they got stuck into this competition. Then they both said, no, nah, we've had enough and their unfinished artworks never completed. The, the rap battle ended mid-battle. And are, they, are those pieces of art can be seen? Are they, are they preserved? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It goes God, that'd be amazing. Really, so, yeah. <laughs> if anybody knows, let us know. That's an interesting one. Did the paint-off product survive? John, time for a thought experiment. And this week's thought experiment is called Art or Chart. 
Now, the thoughts behind <laughs> this was, thoughts behind it was, and I've, I've spoken to you before about the way curators write about art and it's really, mm. really hard to understand. So I was trawling the internet, like literally trying to find weird descriptions of art so I could use as, you know, is this a true description or not? But everything I could find was just how to understand weird descriptions of art. Does that make sense? <laughs> no one committed theirs to the internet. So I've, I've gone a little bit different, but these are things from the world of art and you have to decide, is it art, true or shart, untrue? Okay. So the first one is a quote. Okay. Art is a kind of illness. Art or shart? Art is a kind of illness. Mm. It sounds morose enough to be true. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's quite simple and it sounds like it's quite provocative and, yeah, and quite morose. So I'm going to say it's art. Correct, John. That is art. And that's from the Italian composer Giacomo Puccini. So I hope I've got his uh, oh, name Puccini. right. Okay. Puccini. Yeah. So uh, another one here, uh, art or chart. Marriage is like putting your hand into a bag of snakes in the hope of pulling out an eel. Art or chart? <laughs> <laughs> putting your hand in a bag of snakes and pulling out an eel. Is that, no, that's- marriage is like your hand into a bag of snakes in the hope of pulling out an eel oh i see the hope so you hope you're going to get something that's non-life-threatening i guess so yeah <laughs> non-snaky art or shark uh i get it that sounds like you just put some you put that together i'm going to say shark no it's art from our main man in the square leonardo oh, no. Vinci. <laughs> oh sorry leonardo that's all right. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. Well, okay. I'd have to say that's not his best quote. <laughs> sure. I mean, he's, he's got loads of good quotes. But he, he must have been drinking that day, was he? Well, he's, he was curious. So let's that, 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 go about the quality. Let's right. So next one is, are these names of artworks? So physical artworks. Okay. My flares are overtaking me. Shart. It's art, and that's the name of one of my my paintings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a bit sneaky. (laughs) I did about 20 years ago. We used some really bright sort of fabric. (laughs) <laughs> that looked like they were cut out of flares. Okay, so that I like was, the way uh, you're putting yourself. You're putting yourself into this <laughs> alongside the names of Puccini and Leonardo. There's Puccini, no, Leonardo, <laughs> Simon Banks. Banks. Simon Banks. <laughs> All right. Okay. Next one is this art or sharp? The name of an artwork. The physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living. Ah, now I think that is art, and I think that might be someone like Damien Hirst. Da-da! That is art, correct? Hey! Oh, well, that is, and is it Damien Hirst? Yeah, it is yes, Damien Hirst. Yes, the pickled shark. I just shark. remember that being a long, yes, torturous sort of title to a piece of art. But, yeah, okay, that stuck in my mind. Okay, I, I think right. I might so, have seen that somewhere. Yeah, it was a sort of late 90s young British artist movement propelled him into the, the stratosphere of artists. You probably saw that shark down there and then it swam up here and then he pickled it. Are these band names true or not? So in the world of art, so art or uh-huh. shart. 
King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I want that to be true, so I'm going to say art. Yeah, correct. It's an Australian band, very well-known band, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. So that is Art, Toad, and the Biscuit Disco Manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's definitely a random word generator one. I'm going to go sharp. That's sharp. (laughs) I made that up. But Toad is from. I, I put I put a few bands together there. Now, um, uh, <laughs> it, they probably will turn up at a festival. I've just been to a festival. I mean, one of the bands was called Bin Bag Wisdom. So you know, well, yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> is this a line from a song, art or sharp? Okay, young black and famous with money hanging out the anus. <laughs> <laughs> That's sharp. That is art. And that is a line from a Puff Daddy song. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. And that brings us to the end of... It wasn't the Beatles then. No. (laughs) But you could have put some of theirs on there, but they're too recognisable. But um, that brings us to the end of Art or Shart. So, John, I think you've got... uh, You're about 50-50, so well done. I was looking at uh, quotes of Leonardo, much the same way we had some from Michelangelo. And Leonardo's got some, as you might imagine, some great quotes that talk to his work and his thoughts and his approach to things. I like this one. I have been impressed with the urgency of doing. Knowing is not enough. We must apply. Being willing is not enough. We must do. So I thought that idea again of, you know, if you're a writer, write. If you're a singer, sing. You know, whatever your art is, as you might say, whatever the itch is, go scratch it, go do it and keep doing it. And I think we all, um, yeah, or even at your job, the thing which really lights you up, it might be that little bit of a passion project you've been thinking about and you'd love to, you just got to get started. And look, you and I, you know, I'm a great procrastinator. So <laughs> I won't say you and I, but look, this applies to all, just do it. Just do that one little thing. All right. Any other then, quotes you like? Then short on learning, never exhaust the mind. Again, it goes to that idea of curiosity and that idea of continuously sort of seeking to sort of learn and develop and build your knowledge, build your experiences or whatever. So I, I like that as well because I think that, that goes to the heart again of, of what we talk about every Yeah, time. I think the moment we stop learning is probably a very sad day, isn't it? Like, you know, the moment yeah, not, that nothing not, intrigues us anymore. Yeah, not to be fearful of it, isn't it? You know, mistakes are learning. So don't be fearful. Things that you don't know, go find out. Don't be fearful that you don't know something and think, oh, no, I'll, I'll embarrass myself. Just see everything as an opportunity to just learn. It's great. Yeah, it's a great attitude. Joy in the unknown rather than fear in the unknown, isn't it, maybe? Whoa, that was a yeah. bit of a quote we can use ourselves. <laughs> in days That'll be to on come. a wall soon. Yeah. In, in days to come, they'll be doing a podcast about you, Simon. There's obviously a lot we can take from Leonardo. Simon, he's um, quite prolific and did so many things. What are some of the life lessons that we might take that we can put into our own lives, be that personal or in work or whatever? I think it's that intersections, like his theatric, his work in the theatre influenced so much of what he did in with his work as well. And so this and his work and or his observations in nature. And so this mashup of ideas, if that makes sense. And I think we've all got this... Yeah. Be open to connecting all the different aspects of our life and see if they, or just be open to things colliding and seeing what happens, I guess. So I think, you know, that 
find your intersection or be aware of intersections and or something along those lines. Yeah, we've all done so many interesting things as a rule. So whether we've travelled or whether we've had different jobs or, you know, relationships, lived different spots, there's things from all of those worlds that can influence our ideas, I think. So that'd be me. What about yourself? And I've got a couple of others, but I'll go to you, John. Yep. What do you think? He's a cool guy, um, Leonardo. He's a cool guy. There's something about that curiosity thing that almost the wonder that he has, as you say. It's, it goes off the back of what you just said about joining dots, but he just sees things and looks at those and goes i wonder why that happens i wonder why the sky is blue i wonder why the water runs that way i wonder and that kind of accepting that he doesn't know all the answers and he's happy with that and he has that childlike sense of wonder around the world or of the world around him that's good you know too often particularly in organizations we have that idea we put the grown-up head on we get very serious and we have to exhibit our competence and our professionalism and knowing the answers and so we tend to shy away from being a bit wondrous and childlike and playful again it's a missed opportunity isn't it yeah that sense of wonder and i think also what i liked about leonardo which i've i never read about but i want to highlight he was just his own man wasn't he like he just you know i own who i am i'm i'm unique i'm an individual i'm going to rock through the square in my purple tunic and guys you just got to be cool with that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a you'd cat, love to have you seen know? his you would love to have seen his twitter feed wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> he was he was Imagine like it. an an early influencer so <laughs> an early influencer <laughs> so we've done a lot around the renaissance period there simon and leonardo and michelangelo where do you want to take us next well i think this could go on for a week if we keep talking i think i'm going to jump forward about 400 years and land somewhere completely different. I think we'll do a round two of some of the other artists we can talk about because there's a a lot we can learn, as with our chin stroker friends as well. We're going to land in Mexico and we're going to talk about Frida Kahlo. Yeah, I know Frida Kahlo. She's uh, a pattern on one of the cushions sat behind me on the sofa. (laughs) Yeah, and and here's the thing. I think her imagery and her imagery being herself is represented all around the world. Like she's everywhere and her style, her and the the appropriation of that style never grows tired, does it? And these bright, yeah. bold Mexican colours and yeah, they're everywhere. I can see her you eyebrows. looking at your at your cushion. Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Her eyebrows are everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. What an interesting person. And on that note, I've got a Frida Kahlo water bottle and it's really bright and bold. But what I like about this water bottle, I can leave it anywhere, like at the gym or at basketball. It's always in the same spot when I go back. Like No, yeah. no, no one touches it. Well, it's, <laughs> so well, it's absolutely no mistaking, is it? <laughs> but no one wants to pick it up. Like if you go to like a nice black, bleak Nike water bottle, they go grab that. But Frida Kahlo, she's always there. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for me when I return. What's interesting about Frida Kahlo? Well, I think her story is interesting, I think, because then that sort of leads into her art. So I guess she had a few struggles in her life. She was born with polio. So she struggled to walk when she was younger. She had a lot of sort of surgery on her legs as well. And one leg was always thinner than the other. So she was always quite self-conscious of that but unusually not unusually but at the time she was born sort of early 1900s so maybe 1910 1912 her dad really encouraged her to do all these 
things that often young girls at the time wouldn't do. So swim, wrestle, play soccer. And he said, we're going to get this, oh, right. this leg great. So she was a real, I guess, really adventurous even as a young girl. But then when she was at university, she was run into by a tram and sort of in the square and she was impaled with a big pole and went through her hip and fractured her hips and her femur and a whole bunch of stuff like that. So pretty much for the rest of the life, she was in intense pain, okay? Mm. It was intense yeah. pain. So life for her was a struggle. But what I love about this struggle, her struggle became her art. Because she wasn't quite so mobile, that's why she painted herself because she knew herself better than she knew anything else. So her story was her art. So she looked deep inside and she expressed that, what was deep inside, through her painting. That's uh, really interesting, isn't it? Just that, that she was her own muse for her art. That's really interesting. And just that idea of that creativity coming from a place of great adversity and challenge. Yeah, come from a place of uh, great pain, which is why we see her face everywhere, because almost every artwork she painted was of her. I, again, was interested in some of her thoughts and ideas, quotes or whatever, that we might associate with Frida Kahlo. There was a couple here that I wanted to share. I used to think I was the strangest person in the world, but then I thought there are so many people in the world, there must be someone just like me who feels bizarre and flawed in the same ways I do. I would imagine her and imagine that she must be out there thinking of me too. Well, I hope that if you are out there and read this and know that, yes, it's true, I'm here and I'm just as strange as you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Because I think we've all, we've all felt at some times that we're a bit strange and we might sort of hide that unusual cool part of us yeah and maybe to yeah. try and fit in but i guess for anyone who's ever sat at home and thought oh or whatever or wondered or yeah, about their yeah. uniqueness what a, what a lovely quote and look i've, I've got one of hers so mm -hmm. um feet what do i need you for when i have wings to fly <laughs> which is again just that phenomenal way of just going beyond what might be normal perceptions of things and just imagining going beyond i think that's great and a place you know she spent a, a huge chunk of her life in a wheelchair as well especially later on in her life yeah. like her her health deteriorated rapidly she died when she was about 50 and some people say she might even take her own life because she was in that much incredible pain like the extreme mm -hmm. suffering she went through but i thought just what a lovely way to look at things you know i, I have feet but what are you good for i have wings to fly so i, I really like that uh, yeah, that yeah repositioning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It goes to that thing where that one may be constrained in one sphere of one's life, the physical realm, if it were as it were for her, but her mind was completely free, completely liberated, wasn't it? And yeah. I think that's and, uh, always an interesting distinction. And have you got one more quote, do you think? Because you had a few. Yeah, the last one for me is, the only thing I know is that I paint because I need to, and I paint whatever passes through my head without any other consideration. So and I like that, that she's got that thought of don't lose it. whatever As it comes through, capture it in some way. Yeah, don't be wondering about that thought tomorrow. Paint it as you go. I like Paint that it, that's it, yeah. Now, look, life lessons from Frida Kahlo and, and business lessons as well. What we, I think what I like about this is she embraced what she was, embraced all that was her. She didn't try to be perfect, even though the world was around her was, you know, the world might see her as odd. And she's got this famous monobrow, 
highly unfashionable at the time and probably still is as well but she she owned that like she's just um this is me and yeah. this is who i am and as well as owning stuff she was a she was a feminist and she was a feminine icon and she did things at the time which was so outside was uh seen acceptable within sort of the boundaries of being a woman in mexico even w- women at that time like she was political and she had multiple affairs she didn't sort of she did what she wanted and like she just she owned what she was so she broke a lot of boundaries and she's very sort of in, inspiring with that she just I am who I am and I will be bold and brave. And I look back on her, her dad probably saying to her, who she's very close to all her life, get out there, swim, play soccer, do all those things. So I think they might have played into it as well. And similar to Leonardo in just, uh, again, as we said, standing apart, being her own person, not hiding. That's yeah, look- part, part of the key things of being a creative person who just gets out there and just expresses themselves. And if you look at pictures of her, she's always got these magnificent headdresses on and, and these bright cultural Mexican clothes as well, not trying to be, uh, you know, the Times or Western or – and I can I can see you're grabbing yeah, – yeah, look at your pillow yeah. there, that amazing yeah. headdress. And that's – so the pictures we see of her is, is the way she looked. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very, very striking. So, yeah, we might have to put a picture up in the show notes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there's pictures of, everywhere. Of my you cushion. You, you won't have to look uh, too far. And what, what about you, John, a life lesson or a, from Frida Kahlo? Frida Kahlo, I think just that that there's opportunity, whatever the, the situation, whatever the challenge is, there's an opportunity to be creative, to you know, find a way through despite adversity. That's quite life-affirming, you know, from such a difficult place. I feel quite sad now. <laughs> nice note to finish the show is uh yeah we might <laughs> read a couple it's got to, be, got to be something cheerier about no i don't the only other thing i was thinking is just that whole thing about how again as we look back we go oh wow they're amazing but at the time there must have been so many people were offended by her or found her difficult or found her approach unacceptable you know just that going against the grain what might be perceived the norms of society. It's always a strange place to be, isn't it? And then we look back and we go, oh, they were, everybody goes, they were inspirational. But at the time, yeah. that wasn't the case. And it's, it's funny, like when I um, used to work at the National Gallery in England, I, I remember when I first started, I thought, I just don't know I can get into these old pictures. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I've, I'm excited enough by them. But when you delve into those stories, they were all like the, the Elon Musks or the Jeff Bezos, probably not Jeff Bezos, but like, you know, they were like the, they were the rule Bezos. breakers. <laughs> they were the rule breakers of their time. They were, they were so out there and everyone was shocked, horrified. They were pushing boundaries. And then a couple hundred years later, we look back and we go, oh, or we want to be like them and look at them. They broke rules. They they did things differently. So it's also be open to those rule breakers as well. Absolutely. If you're there in an organization, put that radical idea out there, Kevin, in accounts. And, you know, in 200 years time, they'll say that Kevin, he was amazing. John, we've been sort of looking at life lessons as we've gone through, but I always like to do a little wrap-up. One key thing that stood out for you in our journey into the minds of some of these amazing artists? Yeah, it's been great to hear about them, actually. Again, I didn't know clearly as much as you do about these artists as part of your sort of part of your education. But so I thought the thing that's most striking is how they stood apart. Uh, they didn't necessarily conform and 
then of course that's that's great isn't it that's when you do your best work if you don't feel you have to conform if you feel you can stand apart and just be your own person then i think that leads to great things so yeah stand apart be your own person make great stuff or make great things happen yeah, and I think if you're in an organisation as well, think about your team, let them be themselves as well. Let them bring their best talents, their best ideas, their best, you know, their quirkiness, all those cool stuff, let those shine. So you can have a little team of Leonardos as well. Now, look, I think my one from today is when the ideas come, record them. Mm. What is that? Like write them down, draw them, sketch them out, use your phone, take photos, whatever, but have a mood board on the go constantly, I'd say. Yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, I, like, I like that. Far too much stuff passes me by. I need to find a better system. I might tap yeah, it Yeah, but w- we all do. Like We all have those flashes of brilliance, which happen all the time. So record them, write them down, and yeah, better have loads of ideas and be able to choose one than have none and choose none, if that makes sense. All right, what do we want people to do, John? End of the show. As ever, we would love people to keep listening, to subscribe, to tell their friends, um, give us a rating. Check out the website, occupationalphilosophers.com. Drop us a note. Yeah. Download the guide, I think, that's on the website as well. Yeah. Get in touch. And thank you to everyone who's been getting in touch with suggestions. We're building a real real good little repertoire. So we'll start to do those in a few weeks. But look, just on that, be curious, play more, and have fun. Now, John, you've got a meeting you need to go to, so you better... Yeah, got some preparation to do. I better get some questions together. <laughs> <laughs>